Hello, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. This is your host for Talk Architecture. I'm Naziati Muhammad Yaqob. And today's podcast is about obligations to the environment. This is a section, chapter number six, in the book by Thomas Fisher called Ethics for Architects, 50 Dilemmas of Professional Practice. And this is an interesting chapter because we have issues like climate uh, change and obviously the obligations to the environment has been around for some time since the turn of the century in particular. And we are talking about how members should promote sustainable design and development principles in their professional activities. The first part, they have several sections, but I'm going to talk about the first one on environmental hypocrisy. There is a quote here. A hypocrite professes what he does not believe. William Hazlitt. Thomas Fisher in the book says, I'm going to read parts of the section and then you will know when I comment. A well-known advocate of sustainability, an architect who traveled extensively and lived in a sizable house, produced a large ecological footprint. When asked about the gap between his words and deeds, he said that he had no choice but to fly if he was to spread the word about environmental responsibility. And they had no guilt about living at a level commensurate with his income. Those who admired the content of his message, though, wondered what his life said about the difficulty of enacting his ideas. Okay, uh, this is my commentary. We see a lot of examples of um, those in the architecture profession um, who may talk about sustainability a lot and that is their expertise but really it's about green building or some sort of technology and it's something that helps with their expertise and their specialization no doubt but um, what about other things to do with sustainability so you can choose whatever you like really so let's hear what uh, Thomas Fisher says. In the ancient world, philosophy was, as the historian Pierre Hadot put it, <clears throat> a way of life, and ethics was a guide to living a good life. Thinking about right and wrong or good and bad did not just occur in philosophy classes, but as an ongoing spiritual exercise, said Hadot, in which ordinary people learn via the ethics of philosophers such as Epicurus to free themselves from insatiable desires by distinguishing between desires which are both natural and necessary, desires which are natural but not necessary, and desires which are neither natural nor necessary. Hadot's work shows how far we have strayed from that ancient tradition of trying to live a good life. 
philosophy has become the preserve of professors who rarely try to communicate with the general public or offer much guidance as to what might constitute a good life in today's world. There are many of those. Nor do we expect professors to live according to what they profess. So accustomed have we become to hypocrisy as William Hazlitt defined it, to people professing what they do not believe or will not do themselves. I have a lot to say about this, but I will reserve that until the end of the article. Such hypocrisy extends to professions other than the prof professoriate. For the architect, whose work often involves realizing clients' desires and the images of a good life, the gap between what we profess and what we can we do can become extremely wide. The environmental dilemmas we face as a culture makes that even more ac acute. Buildings consume a sizable amount of our financial, material, and energy resources, and they contribute mightily to the waste streams and greenhouse gases we generate. Most architects know that, yet we continue to design structures that, however efficient they may be in their operations or effective in reducing waste or population, sorry, waste or pollution, still mainly serve the often insatiable desires of the wealthiest and most powerful portions of the population. Nor do such desires stop without clients. While virtually every architect now knows the impact and understands the implications of over-consuming resources and over-producing pollution, a strong desire remains within the profession to lead a life at least superficially similar to that of the wealthy or powerful people we serve. This may partly stem from a marketing motif. Architects, like any person in business, want to look successful as a culture conventionally defines that term. <coughs> and living in exquisite surroundings can present a perfect advertisement of an architect's ability. <coughs> Excuse me. But while it may seem it may be natural to want to live beyond our means, it is hardly necessary no matter how much we try to justify it ourselves. If our desire for unsustainable luxury is both natural and unnecessary, architects also often end up entangled in activities rarely encountered in the ancient world, but now common. The unnatural but necessary. The unnatural part comes from modern technology, and its ability to largely eradicate both spatial distances and temporal differences as we try to move everything from bits of information to human bodies as rapidly as possible around the world. Yet the necessary aspect of this arises from the need of people to connect and communicate with each other, even if, as in the case of the sustainability advocate here, that involves flying around to help others understand the price we pay for the unnatural power that our technology gives us. That places the proponents of a more environmentally friendly way of life 
in the paradoxical situation of generating a lot of greenhouse gases via automobile and airline travel to persuade others to generate a lot less. The value of ethics lies not in making us feel guilty about our natural our unnatural technology or unnecessary desires, but in helping us find happiness in what comes naturally and in what is necessity. Seen in that light, ethics is a kind of design tool, a way to help people meet their needs in ways that they and the rest of the planet can support. Excuse me. The ancient Epicurean exercise of learning to what to want only what is both natural and necessary had the effect of helping people learn to live within what we would now call our ecological footprint. Were our sustainability advocate to engage in the ethical exercise of the ancients, he might find more sustainable ways of working and living. He might video or teleconference in lieu of face-to-face meeting and record his messages rather than deliver them in person. He might also demonstrate in his own lifestyle and how others can live with much less and still live well. And in so doing, he would reveal the ancient maxim at the core of sustainability that a good life for all involves freeing ourselves from insatiable desires and finding happiness in living with what we absolutely need to ensure that those who follow us have the same opportunity. This is um, interesting in many levels or many aspects. I've been a professor in a university and throughout my academic life, I've traveled, traveled a lot. And I never thought about this for a minute that I am hypocritical. But when, after retirement, I, I have realized that much of what I do is um, to, to ensure that my key performance indicators um, are delivered and of a certain excellence. We, every year, we have to um, be involved in activities that we can score points for our key performance indicators or KPIs. And we need to get above a certain percentage, like 80% and above, for the sake of um, getting promotion. So this is what professors and universities are about. I mean, this is so true for the university that I was in, working for 25 years. Now, I did go travel a lot and I got grants. They seemed to be important for me to travel with my students or myself to uh, other places to see case studies and bringing those examples uh, to be as learning cases to understand about the concept of disability, the concept of independent living, and also um, understanding systems 
uh, and examples that we share is to improve ourselves. That is part of building up our skills and knowledge in architecture in general. Now, the other aspects, apart from traveling and, um, and going everywhere, if you have the funds for it, is wrapped up in the um, promotion exercise, obviously, and, wrap, and also something that the university want us to do more because they want us to, pro uh, to publish papers, articles, and intellectual properties. I've done that, and the result of the universal, universal design bus stop that we did were um, those uh, research that we've done since 2015, and the first version was built in two, 2019, the second in 2021, I think. So, um, I think 2022, sorry. So what I'm trying to say is that that design that we got at the end that we established with uh, our collaborators is supposed to help people. We justify the means that we did to the ends. Yeah, we justify going around getting grants to the ends, which is the product which is supposed to be a good product. So the hypocrisy in that to me is not so much of that activity, but other activities of talking. Now talking is going to conferences and, and um, talking to others. You don't know whether what you say in uh, 10 minutes or 15 minutes is helpful or not but you want to participate in those programs so that you can key in your KPI points to get to that percentage that you want. I've been doing it most of, um, it is uh, noticeable um, towards the end of my career, 10 years, 10 years um, looking back when it was very intense, intensified, this KPI thing. So as a professor, a former professor, I was in that realm of trying to get as many points as possible for promotion purposes, which now, on hindsight, when I look back, when I look back, I'm retired now, I was thinking, it's not so much the hypocrisy and maybe the blatant shall we say, corrupted way in which to use the money um, in which I accepted as someone who uh, is in the system. But that thing is different. The thing that I'm much aware of was I was doing this not for myself. Now the thing is, you would say, oh, now you were doing it for yourself. You know, you're selfish and... No, the thing was, if you... What... When we... When we... Evaluate, when we... Look at the value of what we give to society. 
the value or the thing that is like you, you're not using um, resources to get something built. We, you can't see us building something tangible. We teach people to, to get them skills to build something tangible. So these, if you were to look at one week, five days, there are seven hours on Monday and Thursday where you actually um, assist students of architecture to develop their skills and knowledge. Whether you actually use that seven hours well is something else. Number two is what happens in the other seven hours, uh, the other three days. That's what I'm saying, that you're in committees so that you can score points. You are in um, uh, committees like uh, whatever committees, you know. Uh, you get together and you talk for two hours, but there's really nothing that you actually produce or essentially a good outcome. You may be wasting your time. And there are those meetings and you, um, you know, those seminars and conferences that you speak for 15 minutes. Who is listening to them? You know, it's different than when I, I concentrate one-to-one -one with a student and show them exactly what I meant that they are not doing, you know, the mistakes that they, or the things that they could improve themselves from week to week, you know, twice a week. That is much fruitful than wasting my time with the seminars and writing papers. You know, when we write papers, we give articles, who reads them? And are they original work? I mean, uh, they give us chance to, to write to journals that is not expensive, but the journals that are high quality, well, in the Q1, Q2, Q3, um, impact. I mean, how much impact can you provide and ha have your articles being used well? Out of all my articles, there are one or two that was um, people like to refer to, and thank God for that, and they were... I'm not shy to say, but they were based on reports that I did uh, to present. Um, it was the area reports that I presented on behalf of Malaysia, which I did proper research on the list of things that we have in Malaysia in terms of the legislation and, and other policies on universal design. And um, that was a useful article for people to write upon it. And I guess that helps, but the other articles, they were a bit obscure and some people would read them. And I have to give credit to my uh, PhD and master's candidates who were being supervised by me and all the work that they've done. And much of the work, uh, writing work came from them themselves and I helped with the editing at times. But when I start thinking about it, really, uh, 25 years back, those times when I assist students of architecture were the most productive times. And uh, when we talk about sustainability, and just now I was talking about also the aspects that people say they're sustainability experts. 
it took me a long time before I could actually call myself a universal design expert because number one, I am a disabled person. So I already know firsthand knowledge of the barriers that I face and how it connects to architecture. So I was in the dilemma to think that, oh my God, um, should, um, I mean, I know this because I am the user as well as I am the designer. So I know very well what are the problems. It is a no brainer. It's part of me to understand this. And I guess um, I could argue that in other aspects, I would not know, obviously. I had to learn like for a blind person or a hearing, um, a deaf person and so on, you know, that other people I would have to learn. Have I done enough to actually understood them and actually uh, be able to advise accordingly? Sustainability now is ESG, Environmental Social Goals. So this, I'm an expert in the social goals. And I'm not saying I know about those in poverty. And I'm not saying I know a lot about certain health issues but what i'm saying is understanding disabled persons needs and issues i could give some summaries or give them some conclusions and advice based on a lot of this research and if it helps in terms of policy then it's great when he mentioned in this article that people would fly all over the place um and talking about decarbonization or zero carbon, but the professor flies all over the place to explain. He's thinking about a specific person, and there are people who does that, obviously, because our um, we get funds from research to fly all over the place. So that's why I'm trying to justify why I fly. But I'm not about environmental impact. I'm about social impact. And... And I'm critical of myself because of um, did I do enough impact? Because I believe my impact was mostly from the one-to-one, face-to-face interaction I have my, with my students, which the best way to um, to to teach or to facilitate the learning, or taking them to places. I mean, that was the good one. I think that the case studies in Singapore and Hong Kong and Bandung and a few of these places I took my students, I think they were the good ones. Me on my own going about, um, those were iffy ones. But what I'm trying to say is, even online teaching are good, you know, in the sense that they are also still one-to-one, but through uh, another medium. Oh, well, we'll teach through many mediums. Even face-to-face, we have, are we really impactful unless we have a desk um, tutorial. So, uh, I like to state that um, this article made me think about our value, our impact, the outcomes that we actually make, you know, with um, people, you know, with living, with the conditions. So, yeah, there are hypocrites, hypocrites around, and I hope that I'm not one of them, but... Um, it is an interesting read that I read just now. So I'm ending it here. I'd like to remind you that I'm in the business of doing online calls and program for 
architects on their mental health balance. Please contact me if you're stuck and not performing and you want to be on top of your game. game um, do contact me to get the copy, a free guide on the high value gift um, of five reasons you struggle to advance in your career as mid-level architects and how to fix the cracks. You can send your inquiry to this address, naziati at gmail.com, N-A-Z-I-A-T-Y at gmail.com. So thank you for listening and hope to have you again for the next episode of Talk Architecture.